You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I would encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 21st chapter. Matthew chapter number 21, beginning in verse number 1. How many of you know what today is? Good answer, Sylvester. Palm Sunday. This morning we're going to look at a Palm, Sun, uh, Palm Sunday message with a little bit of a different take. We're always challenged. Uh, I know some pastors that basically go to a church, stay two or three years, they've got their sermons, they just kind of recycle them, but I, I, got, I can't recycle the, that many. So uh, each year we look for something different. And as I was praying about Palm Sunday and thinking about Palm Sunday, I kept seeing the enthusiasm, the excitement as the Jews waited year after year after year for their Messiah. And I thought about how we are waiting year after year and we're, we're singing soon and very soon we shall see the King. We're talking about the return, the rapture. We're talking about when Christ comes back. And I wonder do we have the same enthusiasm, the same looking forward to that the Jews did some 2,000 years ago. I've got news for you, friend. The King is coming. He is. He promised us He would come the first time through the Old Testament prophets, and He did. Not only in Bethlehem, but every single step of the way, all through His death, burial, and resurrection, and even as we look at Palm Sunday, Him riding into Jerusalem on this colt with the palm branches being waved and laid down before Him, all of that. He did it exactly like He said He would. And now we're standing in that gap between His first coming and His second coming. And we're looking forward to that. He's going to come back just like He said He would. The early church would greet one another, Maranatha. Those that have been to Moldova know when you meet someone there, they greet you with the word pache, pache. They say it like they're almost spitting on you, pache. But it means peace. It's how they, how they greet one another, especially the men. And in the early church, they would simply say, Maranatha, which meant, even so, Lord, come. Lord, we're ready. Lord, we're excited. Lord, we're anticipating. Lord, we just can't wait. So this morning, I want us to think for just a few moments on the subject. The King is coming. Father, as we enter a time of worship, how I pray that you might, Lord, be high and lifted up, Lord, through the songs that are sung and the word that is now proclaimed. God, that you would remind us that every promise you've made, you not only have the intention but you have already, Lord, fulfilled it. Lord, whether past, present, or future, Lord, every word that you spoke, we can have a guarantee of it. So, Lord, we're excited. Father, if you were to return, Lord Jesus, if you were to come back at this moment before this service would come to an end, I pray that every person in this room would say, we're ready, we're ready. Maranatha, the King is coming.
Amen. And like we, when we were little boys and little girls, ready or not, here he comes. The king is coming. Let me give you a couple things this morning. Your outline is before you. It's in the bulletin. We think about the amazing picture of a king riding on a borrowed little colt. Matthew 21. And when they drew nigh into Jerusalem and come to Bethpage into the Mount of Olives, verse 1, then sent Jesus two of his disciples into the city and said, Straightway you'll find a donkey tied up. This donkey will have a little colt with her. Loose them and, and bring them to me. And if any man say that you ought not do that, then the Lord, you must say, will have need of them. Straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, which is in Zechariah 9, 9. We'll talk about it in a moment. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey in the cold of that donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. I think this is neat. There was a donkey with a colt there tied up just like he said. He knew that all along. And put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. And others cut down palm branches from the trees and, and strewed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and all that followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord of hosts. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem... All of the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Friend, the church ought to be so excited and outworking and serving and worshiping that even a lost community would say, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. They had it close to being right. It was Jesus, but more than a prophet was he. Let me share with you a couple of things this morning. We begin by looking... At the anticipation. Think about something that you anticipated more than anything else in the world. Maybe it's when you turn 16 and get your driver's license. Freedom, independence. AJ just can't wait. He's all lit up. Maybe it's your marriage day. That betrothal period and you're just so excited. Maybe it's the, the birth of your first child. Maybe it's the birth of your seventh or eighth child. I don't know. The first one seems to get you a little more excited sometimes. But we know what it's like to anticipate something, to look forward to something. Your heart is, is pounding within you because you can't wait for an occasion to happen. Well, this was the case for the Jews. Number one, we look at the long-awaited Messiah. Back with me if you can find Zechariah. The, the book of the prophet Zechariah, written in 500 B.C., chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon this donkey. For 500 years, the Jewish people watched, and they, and they waited. And they anticipated with, with much excitement because somewhere along the way the, the Messiah was going to come. And they knew exactly where he was going to come and how he was going to come, but not when he was going to come. We're in the, the same place today. Today what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday and how it relates to the second coming of Christ. So think about for 500 years, in fact, the Sadducees had made a tradition and each year, four days before the Passover feast was observed and celebrated, 
The Jews would gather in Jerusalem. They would open the gates of the temple wide open so that the temple would be ready for the Messiah, the king, to enter. They would gather their palm branches and they would wait and they would wave them and they would be singing and praising and praying Psalm 118 that literally says, God save us, God save us, God save us. Year after year after year they would practice this ritual with anticipation that one of these years he would do just that. Christ the Messiah would show up and save them. And finally, on this Palm Sunday it happened. Wow. I want you to think about this because we have some inside information, you know. You and I realize that Palm Sunday would soon give way to crucifixion. We realize that the same voices that are crying out to coronate him will soon cry out to crucify him. The very ones who are bowing down to worship him will soon be mocking him and spitting upon him and crying out that he be killed. How could that be? I submit to you as the Jews would come and that they were looking for a Messiah and, and they were at this point honoring the man Christ. They were honoring him because of all that he did. Because of his miracles, because of his healing, because he was able to feed thousands with a few loaves and fishes, because of his wonderful and eloquent sermons, they loved this man Jesus. But the fact of the matter was there was more to his religion, more to his faith than simply what he would do for them. Now, now think about that. How does that play to us today? Many people today have this idea that being a Christian is about what we can get from it. We can get eternal life. We can get an abundant life. We can get peace. In fact, many today, if you, if you happen to listen to the wrong TV preachers or radio preachers, you'll find out that you can get great wealth and great prosperity and great power and, and prestige and all of these things simply by following Christ. That's so unscriptural. And then when they find out that there's more to this Christian walk than what we can get out of it, it doesn't set so well with them. As they were honoring Christ, they were honoring the Christ that had been serving them. And Jesus said, I have come to serve man. But at the end of the day, there was so much more. If you were to ask me this morning, tell me about marriage. How do you like being married? And if I were to say, oh, marriage is great. It's so wonderful. I have somebody to cook for me. And I have somebody to clean for me. And I have somebody to iron my shirts and to, and, and to you know, uh, sew up the holes in my socks. I have somebody that takes care of me. You would say to me, well, that's all fine and good, but there's more to marriage than what your wife does for you, certainly. And if I were to ask you today, tell me about your faith and, and tell me about your Christian walk. And you were to say, oh, it's wonderful. Christ saved me and Christ gives me joy and Christ ministers to me when I'm down. Christ is a source of content for, uh, contentment for me. And Christ does this and he does that and he does this. Listen, it's the same thing. It, it, it is a one-way relationship and we're honoring Christ for all the good things we can get from him. In fact, many today, when we think about our favorite passages of Scripture, we think about the Scripture that says, He will never leave me nor forsake me. We think about the Scripture that says, And He will provide all of my needs according to His riches and glory. We think about Psalm 23, That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But we cut it off before we get to the part in that Psalm that says, He leadeth me beside the still waters, yes, but He also leads me 
through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I believe I'll just take the good and leave out the bad. It's like the little boy that goes and sits down at the dinner table and he eats his hamburger and leaves his asparagus, you know. I just want what I want. And the Jews just wanted what they wanted. We will find quickly that Jesus had come to do much more than simply meet their needs. There's the long-awaited Messiah, 500 years. Fast forward to today. We today are looking for and imagining what it's going to be like when Christ returns. You see, we find in the New Testament here the long-awaited Messiah. But we also see the prophecy in the Word of God about the long-anticipated King. While they waited 500 years, we have waited now for 2,000 years. The disciples thought Jesus was coming right then and there to set up His kingdom. But He came in riding on a colt. Not as a conqueror at that point, but as a lowly, humble servant. Think about where we are in history. A couple of weeks ago I preached... Uh, on a message on the church, and we looked at the churches of Revelation. Actually, I believe that was on a Wednesday night. But the churches of Revelation, there are seven of them. Now, each of these seven churches in Revelation represent a different church age. Uh, we, we, we know that there's different churches that, that, that the angel of the Lord spoke specifically to that Christ commended them and condemned them and one after the other. And we go through each of the churches beginning in Ephesus, and we go to Laodicea and Thyatira and each one of them, until finally we get to the church at Laodicea. It is the church that was lukewarm. And we know that that is the church age that you and I are living. And that's the last one. So here's where we fit into history. You and I have the privilege of being the blood-bought saints of God that are the nearest to the return of Christ that has ever been. Now that may not excite you. It may confuse you. It might overwhelm you. It might even scare you. But the fact of the matter is we have something to anticipate. We have something to look forward to. Not too long ago I was talking to someone about what it was like raising children. And I said, one of the hardest things about raising children, to me, is when you have your last. When we went home from the hospital with Leah, we understood that barring a miracle of God, she would be our last. And there was just something about that. It made me feel a little bit old and useless in some ways. Uh, but I realized that those experiences, there would be no more. And I thought, wow, I've looked forward to this. I've looked forward to each of the boys. And then when we found out we were going to have a little girl, I, I looked forward to that. So I was telling somebody that, and they said, oh, cheer up. You've got even greater things to look forward to, grandchildren. That'll bless your heart when you're young and handsome like me. You feel like, no way, Jose. But the fact of the matter is that there's much in life that we anticipate, that we look forward to. But I wonder, is there a heart of anticipation when we think about the return of Christ? Just like those early Jews would go and they would wait and they would watch and they would say, maybe this year the early church would greet one another with the same greeting, Maranatha, which means literally I mentioned, Lord Jesus, come. Messiah, come. I wonder, are we with that same heart and that same mind, we are looking forward to that time. And by the way, I've got some good news. He's coming personally. Did you know that? When Jesus met with his disciples just before his, uh, before his crucifixion, he said, fellas, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, many mansions. Call it what you will. He says, I'm going to prepare a place, but listen, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. 
And then we skip over to Acts chapter 1. Love this picture. Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. And all of a sudden he begins going up into the clouds and, and people are standing in awe and wonder and they're gazing up, their mouths open. And the angel speaks and says, listen, don't fear. Don't wonder. Don't be in shock. For this same Jesus who is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. There's an old uh, southern gospel song that says, I didn't see him go up, but I will see him when he comes down. That's what we are anticipating. Think about that. Church, what do we anticipate? Do we anticipate the next big program? Certainly Easter is a special day. We're looking forward to that. We're anticipating that. Somebody said, I'm just anticipating the end of this service, you know. Whatever it is that you're anticipating, friend, I pray that we are anticipating the return of Christ. Many of you have heard this story. Some of you hadn't. Some of you have forgotten it. But it's a good story, so I'll tell it again. A little girl and her family goes to church for a revival meeting. The preacher's preaching on the second coming of Christ. And for some reason, this little girl was just tuned in to the preacher. Does that ever happen to you, Carrie? You just get turned in. Just tuned right there. <laughs> Sometimes. What a blessing to watch y'all play those bells. So excited, so happy. Listen, this little girl was so in tune with the preacher and the preacher started preaching on Jesus coming back and he said, Jesus may come back this very year. A few of the folks in the church said, Amen, hallelujah, shouted a little bit, excited. He said, in fact, Jesus may come back this month. In fact, Jesus may come back this week. In fact, y'all, Jesus may come back this very night. Service ended, everybody came, worshipped, you know, had a great time, went home. This little girl's mama tucked her in, kissed her on the cheek, said goodnight prayers, turned off the light. About an hour passed, mama went by and saw the little girl's light was on, see it under the door. She peeked open the door and looked inside. And there was her little girl, her fanciest Sunday, meet, Sunday go to meeting dress on, little patent leather shoes. Gone and got a little bit of makeup and put on her face and was brushing her hair. Mama just didn't know what to make of that. So she went in and said, honey, what are you doing? Said, you know it's way past your bedtime. You've got to get up in the morning, go to school. Honey, I've already tucked you in. What are, you, you've gotten all dressed. Honey, we're not going anywhere. What are you doing? She said, oh, mama. Said, the preacher said tonight at church that Jesus might come back this year and that he might come back this month, and that he might come back this week, and that he might even come back tonight. No, Mama, I want to be ready if he comes back. I just can't wait. You see, church, that should be our heart. I just can't wait, but I want to get ready. I want to get prepared because my king is coming. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He is the long-anticipated king. Number two, we see not only the anticipation, look with me at the celebration. Well, what do you do when something you've been anticipating finally happens? You, 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 you celebrate. You have the most wonderful time. Yesterday at the wedding, the, uh, the, the young preacher uh, did the vows. They did the, the, pr the pronouncing and the kiss. And it was very sacred and very solemn. And he pronounced them husband and wife. And at that point, the moment he said that, the sound system blared up, uh, celebrate was the, was the song. And they were celebrating. They were, they'd been looking forward to it and preparing. And now it was the time for the celebration. I wonder, are we celebrating? Church notice, if you will, verses 8 through 11. They celebrated Christ's entry into Jerusalem. They didn't just say, well, it's another day at the temple. 
Y'all ever get that way? Oh, it's another Sunday. Just got to go to church, check off a box, got something we've got. I mean, they were excited. Even though they had done it year after year, with every passing year, they knew it must be getting closer. And there was great excitement, great celebration. They literally took things that belonged to them and laid them out. I mean, they, they, they were sacrificing, they were worshiping him. He did not look like one that should be worshipped. He was riding on a borrowed donkey. By the way, most likely this wasn't the first time he had ever ridden on a borrowed donkey. In fact, probably his first trip to Jerusalem would have been on a borrowed donkey. This would be his last trip on a borrowed donkey. As a humble servant, letting the whole world know that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. He was the one they had been waiting for. And when they caught a glimpse of him, they worshiped him. They celebrated. Church, we need to be a celebratory people, not just recognizing one who once was, but celebrating the fact that he's coming again. If there's anything that we should celebrate as a church, it's that. In fact, let me say, there are so many churches in our nation today that are squabbling and fussing and feuding. I mean, and you don't have to go far. It's depressing sometimes driving across the county because I pass by church after church after church and my heart breaks for what they're going through. And I think sometimes if as a church we would get our mindset in that, listen, our job is to prepare the way to get ready to open the gate to celebrate the fact that the one who came to save us is coming again to, to, uh, to, uh, to call us and to take us home. There was the celebration as Jesus came in on a colt. But may I remind you, there's another celebration still to come. Revelation chapter number 19, beginning in verse number 11. John the Revelator said, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, not on a borrowed donkey anymore, but a white horse, pure and strong. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon their white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. And he at the winepress of the fierceness of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, if they celebrated this meek and this lowly and this humble carpenter's son coming into Jerusalem, how much more we should celebrate the fact that our Redeemer, that our Savior, that our Lord is coming again in strength and power and might, much different than His first coming. He came in meekness the first time, but He's coming in a mighty way the second time. The first time he came, he had to bow before Pilate, but Pilate will bow before him next time. The first time he came to lay down his life, the next time he's coming to take up his crown. I wonder, do we realize that we're serving a reigning king? Kings and kingdoms of this world will come and go, but his is eternal. 
That ought, to, that ought to excite us if nothing else does, beloved, that we literally are on the winning side because we serve the one who is victorious through all eternity and he's coming again for us. There's the anticipation. There's the celebration. Number three, there's the culmination. What did Jesus do when he got to the temple? All right, here's where things change. Here's where things kind of shake up a bit. You would think maybe there would be some ceremonies, maybe there would be a coming together, maybe a meal, maybe some kind of a service, but no, Jesus had some business to take care of. Look with me here back in Matthew 21, beginning in verse number 12. You know this passage. The Bible says, And Jesus went into the temple of God, and He did what they did not expect Him to do. He cast all them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the table of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said, my house, my house shall be the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him and in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children were crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased who was sore displeased the very ones who had the traditions of waiting for the messiah the very ones who cut the palm branches and waved them the very ones who had put their cloaks down the very ones that were crying out to worship him all of a sudden they said wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute he's changing things up the temple isn't much different than most churches they change is not a popular thing so what was jesus doing now let me just give you a little bit of information here it wasn't the fact that they were trading for money in fact that was all part of the temple daily routine especially in the times of the feast and the passover especially families would come from a long way off many of them would be poor many of them not but they would have to be able to exchange their money for a sacrifice not everybody raises pigeons or turtle doves so imagine a poor family comes and they bring a few denarii and they would go into the temple and they would say, we want to buy a dove so that we might worship, so that we might sacrifice, so that we might be able to participate in this feast and this Passover. So there would be a fair price for that dove, for that turtle dove, for that pigeon. And then there would be an extortionary price. And that was the price they were being charged. There were those that were within the walls of the temple, if you will, who wanted gain who wanted something for themselves they had taken something that was pure and holy and wonderful and reverent and all about worship and they had turned it into a money racket Jesus knew it and he would have no part of it you say well it looks like to me Jesus lost his temper no Jesus just showed his divinity this was not the humanity of Christ coming out this was the divinity of Christ on display when we think about the culmination of Palm Sunday, we see that he cleansed the temple. He didn't come just to be famous. He didn't come to make a name for himself. He didn't come to have a celebration, but he came for cleansing. Beloved, that's what Christ is all about. Now think about the temple. We think about individual. The Bible says that we are the temple of God, that we are his body, literally our body. So is there anything in our body that he would cleanse us from? Is there anything going on in our own personal life that he needs to come in and turn over some tables? I don't know about you, but I can find things in my life that I'd say, Lord, I just, I want you to take this from me. God, I want you to cleanse this. I want every part of me to be spotless before you. And then certainly we can make that relative to the church. It's his church. 
Is there anything about our church that doesn't represent the New Testament church and the body of Christ that we are to be? I've shared this, I believe, but a pastor friend of mine told me about a year ago, and it was such a poignant, good bit of advice. He's been at his church a long time, and he said, Cameron, as a pastor, our job is not to run the church. Our job is to make sure nobody else does so that God can. And if we're not careful, man will get involved in the work of the temple or in the work of the church to the point that it's no longer what God intended his church to be. He cleansed the temple. But beloved, when he returns, he is going to claim his bride. You know the passage if you've ever been to a funeral. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede those which are asleep. Listen, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. What is that shout? We don't know, but it's something along the lines of enough. Enough. Upon the cross, he said, it is finished. We'll talk about that next week. But when he returns, he'll simply say, enough. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When he comes again, he's going to rapture us. He is going to take us home. He is going to claim his bride. My job yesterday was to give the bride away. I'd like to kill me. I can't imagine what it's going to be like with Leah in 30 or 40 years maybe. <laughs> but as the doors opened, room full of people looking on, beautiful bride in a white dress. And I looked up at that groom and he looked so excited smiling from ear to ear. And I thought to myself, we are the bride of Christ. The Bible says that he is anticipating his return when we can spend all eternity with him. What is there about me that would make him desire me in any way? Through his righteousness, I'm fit to be called his bride. The culmination of his ministry is when he comes to claim us and to call us home that we would spend all eternity with him. He came the first time and accomplished much, but not until he comes the second time will it truly be finished. As we close this morning, I want to close with the preparation. What are we to do? What are we to do? There's all kinds of drills and things going on today in the light of the school shootings and things and Schools are making ready so that they know if there's a certain kind of, um, you know, attack or a shooting or a, they do drills, right? And they say, okay, in light of a real emergency, here's what you're supposed to do. For in there are certain things that the Bible tells us that we are supposed to do to prepare for the return of Christ. Just like those Jews every year would come and they would prepare not knowing which year the Messiah would come. But each year knowing he might, we understand that any day he may return. So what are we to do? The Bible says to watch and be you ready for the Lord may come today. For time's sake, I'm not going to read the entire text. But in John chapter number 12, I want you to see three things. Number one. Verse 21, the Bible said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. 
We must see Jesus. Think about all throughout the scripture, people that said, we've got to get to Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, the friend that had his friends lower him down through the roof. We must see Jesus. But let me ask you, do you see Jesus on a daily basis? No, I know that the view may tell you that listening to Christ or seeing Christ makes you a lunatic. But I would say to you that a child of the king ought to spend time with him every day and look for him in every situation and every opportunity to see him at work. Let us open our eyes and see what he's doing. The great study experiencing God said as a Christian we're supposed to daily have our eyes open and watch for the areas that God is at work and then join him in that work. Let us see Jesus. Number two... Let us serve Jesus. In his own words in this same chapter, verse 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. We must not only see Jesus, but we must serve him. As we prepare for his coming, don't just be satisfied to sit on the sidelines waiting on him to return to take you home, but be serving him, be faithful in your pursuit of being a, a faithful servant. That we would hear those words, well done, good and faithful what? Servant, a steward of the Most High. The Bible doesn't say that we're just supposed to attend church. That we're just supposed to kind of go through the motions and wait on King Jesus to return. Like, like saints sitting at a railway station waiting on the train to glory. But we're to serve Him. Look for areas that you can serve Him and that you can honor Him. Listen, there's no better way to anticipate and wait and prepare than through service. But thirdly, notice verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now understand something. Verse 32 specifically is talking about the resurrection. If I be raised up, if I be lifted up, if I be exalted from death, then I will draw people unto myself. So where do we fit into that? We fit in by sharing his story. By sharing what he has already done. Scholars... Even those who claim to be atheists and agnostics cannot deny the impact of the life of Christ upon humanity. And they have no explanation for the resurrection. They have no explanation for them taking Christ's body off of the cross, putting it in a tomb. The men that were there when Jesus died were professional executioners. They would not have taken his body off the cross unless he was graveyard dead. They made sure of that. And yet three days later, there was no explanation in how a dead man was now a live man and for 40 days revealed himself after many infallible proofs. What did Jesus say on the 40th day when he got ready to go to heaven? You will now be my witnesses. You've watched my story. You've heard of my story. You've witnessed my story. Now you must share my story. Thursday morning about 4 a.m. A nurse was in Steve Yarborough's room. Steve did what he does. He witnessed. Began talking to this nurse about eternity and about Christ. She knelt by the bed. Steve led her in a sinner's prayer. She repented and received Christ. 
And Steve said, kidney disease, worth it all. Worth it all. Worth it all. How often do you share your story? How often do I share my story? I'm good at bragging on the church and what God's doing. But how good am I at just bragging on what Jesus has already done? Let me ask you this as we close. Number one, are you right with Jesus? That's kind of plain, but there it is. Are you right with Jesus? If you say, well, I'm not sure. Listen, there's only one way to get right. You know, I heard someone one time say, heaven's kind of like California. A lot of routes to get there. Just make sure you get there. Friend, can I tell you? I just got back just a few hours ago. And there's a lot of ways to go to California. That pilot told us last night, said, we'll be flying over Oklahoma City. We'll be flying over this, over Memphis, all these places. If you look down, maybe you can see it. I won't interested in seeing but one thing, Bladen County. There's a lot of ways to get to California. There's only one way to get to heaven. You say, well, that's mighty narrow-minded. Nope. It's just the way it is. Only one way to get here. It's not narrow-minded. That's just scientific. It's just the way it is. So you're right. How do I get right? By receiving a gift that was given for 2,000 years ago. By allowing the Christ of the Bible, who is exactly what he said he was and did everything he said he did, to take away your sin and clothe you with his righteousness. As the Holy Spirit literally knocks at your heart's door, it's simply a matter of letting him in, saving you, turning your life over to him, living different. I was eight years old when I got saved, and sometimes people say, can an eight-year-old really get saved? Let me tell you, I know I was saved. Because when I did bad, it made me feel rotten. When I did good, it made me feel good because there was something on the inside of me that wasn't there before I got saved. Simple enough. Are you right with the Lord? There's no time like the present to get right with Him. But secondly, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord? Are you ready for His return? In other words, the Bible says that if we would have known when He was going to return, we'd get ready right before, but there's no opportunity for that. So let's get ready now. I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I, want to leave, I don't want to leave any witness opportunity uh, you know, left uh, untaken. I want to be served the Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to be given at everything I've got. What are we going to be doing when the Lord returns? I want to be doing something good. Right? I don't want to be wasting my life. I don't want to be doing anything I ought not be doing. I probably shouldn't tell this, but I will. It's funny. I was in Target yesterday morning. I don't like shop at Target, but that was only I was the only place I could walk to yesterday morning. Found a Target two miles away, and I walked there. So I went a car there. I don't drive in California. A bunch of crazy people out there. So I went to Target and I had to buy my wife something. I won't tell you what it was because it's kind of embarrassing. But there was a run in a pair she had. Okay. So I'm in Target trying to find my wife some things, and I'm there and I'm surrounded by all them. Things, women, things. And I thought, Lord, I'm not sure when you're going to return. I got this message on my heart thinking about the return of Christ. I said, but please don't come back right now. Because this is not where I want you to find me, okay? I got your attention. Here's the thing, guys. Is there anything about our lives that we might say, Lord, I really don't want to be doing this. Lord, I, I don't want to be committing the sins of omission or commission. Lord, I want to be found faithful when you return. Mommy? Would you brush my hair? Mommy, would you tie this bow in my hair? Because I want it just right. 
because Jesus might come back tonight. Father, thank you that you're a promise keeper. Thank you that all the Old Testament leads up to Bethlehem and all of the New Testament leads up to the rapture. God may it not.